Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the What the Niche podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morris. Now, before we dive into what will be a rather heavy episode, I would like to take time to thank everyone again for your continued support. Please continue to share and leave reviews on my Facebook page. And again, I truly appreciate all of you. In this week's episode, my guests and I will discuss the issues associated with being black in America. Now, despite having discussed this in my first episode, I felt as though it was important to revisit this topic because of the current state of turmoil involving race relations. The world is in the middle of what appears to be a long overdue revolution. The death of George Floyd in Minneapolis at the hands of a police officer has sparked global outrage. We don't want to see targets burned. We want to see the system that sets up for systemic racism burnt to the ground. And as I sit here in Georgia, Thomas Stevens, Georgia, former vice president of the Confederacy, white man said that law, fundamental law stated that whites were naturally the superior race. And the Confederacy was built on a cornerstone it's called a cornerstone speech. Look it up. The cornerstone speech that blacks would always be subordinate. That officer believed that speech because he killed that man like an animal. In this city, officers have done horrendous things and they have been prosecuted. This city's cut different. In this city, you can find over 50 restaurants owned by black women. I didn't say minority and I didn't say women of color. So after you burn down your own home, what do you have left but char and ash? CNN, Ted did a great thing. I love CNN, I love Cartoon Network, but I'd like to say to CNN right now, karma's a mother. Stop feeding fear and anger every day. Stop making people feel so fearful, give them hope. I'm glad they only took down a sign and defaced a building and they're not killing human beings like that policeman did. I'm glad that they only destroyed some brick and mortar and they didn't rip a father from a son. They didn't rip a, fa- a son from a mother like the policeman did. When a man yells for his mother in duress and pain and she's dead, he is essentially yelling, please God, don't let it happen to me. And we watched that. So my question for us on the other side of this camera is after it burns, Will we be left with charred, or will we rise like a phoenix out of the ashes that Atlanta has always done? The outrage and sadness for the things that have transpired are demonstrated clearly in this clip, where Killer Mike speaks out on an Atlanta news station and shares his passion and concern for the nation's current state. And in the following clip, The Rock proclaims a call to action from leadership to end systemic racism And he presents a message of peace and appreciation for those who have decided to stand with those who are the victims of an unfair system. I want to take a moment to, I want to take a moment to thank the world. I want to take a moment right now to thank the world for standing up with us in our fight for equality, to normalize equality. I want to thank all these countries around the world incredible, inspiring, beautiful displays of solidarity. And I want you to know something, and I feel confident, I feel confident speaking on behalf of 
your American brothers and sisters, us, through our, through our fire, through our smoke, through our debris, through our noise and everything that we're going through right now, because there's a lot happening around us as we're taking our lumps. Don't think for a second that we don't see you. We see you. We see you. We thank you. We love you. And here in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, we're also protesting the death of Breonna Taylor, who is a young lady who was killed by the Louisville Police Department in the middle of the night in her own apartment during the carrying out of what's called a no-knock warrant. Our students, many from area high schools, those students call themselves the Are We Next movement. Basically, it has two different plays on words. It's like one, are we the next to get shot or hurt by police brutality? Or are we the next to take office and get the torch that's passed down from generation to generation to actually make change so we don't have to go through this again? During the peaceful protests, the students joined forces with teachers who were already out in downtown Louisville. Those teachers could not have been more proud of the kids. When they announced that a thousand of our 2020 graduates were going to walk down the street and join us in protest, it literally brought tears to my eyes because that's what we've taught them all year, all their educational experience. That we want them to fight for themselves and to advocate in a manner to change not just themselves and their surroundings, but the world. The tone of this current movement appears to be one of solidarity and peace. I've been to several of the protests for the Black Lives Matter movement over the last couple of weeks, and I find myself feeling hopeful. And I've been extremely moved by the thoughtful discussion and compassion that I've seen demonstrated throughout. In the crowds, I saw individuals of every race, and we stood together and spoke out against injustice as one. I feel as though the notion of racial injustice has finally gathered real recognition as a legitimate issue. The world is unifying to address the unfair treatment of black people, and I couldn't be more proud to stand beside my friends, colleagues, neighbors, and family to challenge the powers that be to make meaningful and lasting change. And this brings me to this week's guest, Justin Baker, who is a father, future husband, filmmaker, and a great friend. Our conversation comes back to the discussion of what it means to be a black man in America. We focus on some of the issues associated with living in a predominantly black neighborhood, being in an interracial relationship, and many other issues associated with being black in America. The incidents which have fueled the current worldwide protests have long been the experience of many in the black community. And this discussion with Justin, which we had weeks before the protests, clearly demonstrates those problems are real. For too long, it seems as though society has demeaned the plights of being black and often cast their concerns and cries aside. However, as we stand here on the precipice of change, I hope the world will remain firm in the resolve. And I feel as though conversations like the one I had with Justin are important because it allows him a platform to share his unique life experience with others, which can help to inform and impact anyone who is willing to take the time to listen to his unique set of life experiences. And during these tumultuous and divisive times, I hope my listeners can find some solace in a chat between two friends who respect and admire each other, regardless of their deferring upbringing or skin color. All right. Uh, I'm Justin Baker, first of all. I've <laughs> uh, been friends with Andrew for... It's been, it's been like two or three years. 
Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Two or three years now. Met in acting class. You know, my goals and ambitions kind of lined up with his. So, you know, my my first acting class ever, I run into this guy and his beard <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, his impressions. And I was just immediately like, oh, that's a guy I have to know. That's definitely a guy I have to speak to, get to know, you know, link up with on some other projects. Definitely try to hammer out how we can kind of turn our regular friendship into a professional relationship and then uh and then go from there and you know when we saw each other we worked some scenes together and he was great i liked his chemistry and then we started hanging out outside of class so you know any anybody that you've seen drunk is is is, you gotta call them a friend (laughs) (laughs) that is true yeah like our first hangout session he came to my house he wasn't ready Oh, he didn't know it was about to happen. It was oh, a bourbon bad. party where every single one of my friends was bringing bourbon. And it, what was there? There was probably 50 bottles of bourbon oh, between yeah. my friends that night. And uh, yeah, he weren't ready. <laughs> yeah, from cheap to expensive. And then, you know, one of his other friends comes in there with like a, a whole bag, <laughs> I think, of, 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 of the devil's cabbage. So... <laughs> so <laughs> So that that ended up being like one. I I think that was the first time I got knocked on my ass. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like I slept with all my clothes on, no cover. <laughs> just, Glad just to be face first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the first time I've ever been knocked on my ass was at Andrew's bourbon party. So uh, it's it's interesting. Like some of the people that you meet in your life that like you have instant connections with, and what you were saying. Uh, shout out to Ashley Wallace. I'm actually going to have her on the podcast later. Uh, I talked to her earlier today. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but yeah, in her class, dude, you were somebody that like I was instantly drawn to. Like we just connected, and we would just say jokes that the rest of the class would kind of look at each other and were like, "Bitch, that's funny. Like why, <laughs> why y'all got to stick up your ass? That was funny, man." Yeah. And exactly. uh, so we just connected instantly, and, and I love those kind of relationships because I think those are the ones that last. And I'm with you, man. I knew it was something that was like going to go beyond friendship. I was like, we got to make some things happen, you know, because this guy's got aspirations the same as I do, and someday it's going to hash out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So, um, but why don't you? So I had you on the podcast for those that are listening. Um, Justin is a young black dude. Um, so I do want to point that out. So <laughs> if we were, for those that may watch this, I don't think I'm going to do that soon because we both are in full COVID-19 attire. <laughs> so, uh, maybe just explain as a young black guy, like how your experience is unique. My, my experience is probably, I wouldn't call it unique, but I would call it, uh, something that's not like every day or like it, it only fits into a specific tier of like of young black person, you know, because the, the further you come into contact with other people who are educated and, or grandiose in a way that your parents and stuff, they, they try to take you away from, the impoverished areas like they they try to take you away from hey i don't want you to hang out with your friend day day because your friend day day 
he carries a gun on him. It's not licensed. <laughs> you know, he's going around doing crazy things and I don't want you to hang out with him. So I'm going to take you out of this neighborhood before you fall into that specific tier of, okay, you know, every white person's going to look at you or every other person, not even just white, um, is going to look at you in a way that they think that you're going to fit that particular mold. And my family and my parents both worked really hard to put me in that specific category, take you out of there, get you out of that area. And for the longest time, like even during high school, I was living in the projects, you know, I was, I was there, you know, in, in Louisville, West Louisville, right next to beach terrace. And there were gunshots. There were, stuff happening on the news and there were homeless people literally everywhere all the time trash everywhere all the time but i never saw it as that i just saw it as home but with my mom and then my dad working really hard to get me out of that area right before i started high school i think when i was like uh 15 that i got out of that situation so my experiences were totally different from the friends i grew up with as far as, hey, I started to like things like Aeropostale because I, when I the high school <laughs> I went to wasn't wasn't down the street from Beach of Terrace like everybody else. I wasn't going to Central High School. I was going to uh, Jeff High. <laughs> you know, my mom put me in Indiana with her. And I grew up, you know, going to an after-school program that's not the Boys and Girls Club, but YMCA. You know, I grew up... Uh, coming into contact with people who whose biggest problem was oh uh i don't have cable or i didn't <laughs> <laughs> or whose biggest problem was uh oh my parents don't let me stay up past nine you know not <laughs> not the biggest problem is oh you know uh i can't even go down the street to get my hair cut you know by myself because i don't know what'll happen you know and that that was that was the big difference. But the what puts me into this category, I think, is the way my own people look at me. When I say my own people, I mean African-Americans. They'll look at me in a certain light once they start talking to me. Because I'll have the same experiences as them when I was a kid. But as growing up, they think I don't know how to talk to them anymore. They'll call me things like Carlton. They'll wonder why I like anime. And not my favorite thing is... Why is it my favorite TV show, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? It was my favorite show. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's just not anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I just grew up and I, then I ended up getting cable. So <laughs> so you had broader horizons of entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Broader horizons. <laughs> like, and that's, think, that's so strange. Like, it, so do you think it, it's, it's like jealousy at the fact that you've left that situation? Is that, is that where the hate comes from? Maybe it looks like that only because the way it comes out as far as them talk, like even like now, like I was just recently at work with somebody and one of my coworkers grew up in the same hood as me. So him and his girlfriend, they had this particular uh, notion towards me that I'm like, okay, I feel that I am better, even though I have not said that I am better. I had never said anything towards that particular end i've never said okay yeah i'm better than you because you grew up this way and i grew up this way you ended up in jail i didn't 
I never felt that way. It was more like, okay, certain things I would say or that would slip out. Like when uh, I went to look for a new apartment when I was still living in my really expensive one, trying to get a cheaper one. I went to a certain area and then I was like, ah, oh, no, nah, it's... That, that was a little ghetto. That place was ghetto. And <laughs> they took it as like the most offensive thing in the world. And I, and a part of me understood, okay, yeah, I dissed it. But on the other hand, I, this is what I saw. And then I explained to them what I saw. And then they were like, oh, well, it's still disrespectful. Yada, yada, yada. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care. If I see some lady with like, 20 inch long fingernails not really paying attention <laughs> to, to, to what the hell i'm saying and i'm trying to get an apartment and then you know i'm looking on the outside and then i see drug deals happening ghetto's ghetto the hood's the hood and the, it is the same anywhere anywhere and everywhere so when you see that yeah i'm gonna say that yeah i'm gonna speak my mind i'm one of those people that speak my mind if i see something and it's a certain way then i'm gonna speak my mind and it's not like you know there's not every particular neighborhood selling drugs here and there but to do it out free in the open like it comes off as a certain way and then uh i i expressed that towards them and then ever since then they had to stick up their ass about hey i don't know how to talk to my own people yeah can't can't just be honest with my own people like can't just right because leaving that neighborhood or like you know i didn't live ne- near Beecher Terrace, but I lived in between arcade apartments for those that aren't familiar with Louisville. Um, not necessarily the best part of town between arcade apartments and Algonquin Parkway. Uh, I grew up five doors down from the strip club capital of Louisville. Uh, there on 7th Street, there's like 15 or 20 strip clubs. Not necessarily the best place to grow up. Uh, and I wouldn't move back there. Exactly. Not, a ch- not a chance. Exactly. Be- you know, and it doesn't mean that I feel like I'm better than any of those people, but I'm being realistic about the type of shit that goes down there. Is right. my car going to get broken into if I live there? Probably. Is my bike going to get stolen if I leave it in the garage when I live there? Yeah, probably. I did when I was a kid. My dad told me he got tired of buying bikes for the neighborhood. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, I preach, Dad. I get it. He's yeah. like, go beat the ass, take it back. I'm like, well, you know, that's... Ask John, though. Like, I can't fuck with John. Like, yeah. you know who John is, Dad? Or, like, my dad's like, I don't give a fuck who John Like, Dad, I don't want to die. Thank you. Yeah, it's not like it used to be. <laughs> right. your, your generation might have been able to do that. My generation, yeah. you go there, you're going to get jumped. Yeah. <laughs> jump or shot. Yeah, yeah, jump or shot. Yeah. Because so everyone's like, strapped for no reason. Right. And it's like, Dad, that's John's bike now. I don't know. If... <laughs> like, exactly. What's my bike now? John's bike. Um, but. <laughs> I don't understand why you you catch shade when you're realistic about those things. Like, oh, you you too good now, blah 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 blah. It's like, well, no. Like, tell me you don't know that. Tell me right. that. Exactly. You and know, it's like I am, and also at the time, my girl was pregnant and on bed rest. So I was like, I have a baby on the way. I'm trying to get out of my expensive apartment, but I'm not trying to go that deep. Like I remember even my uncle was telling me, hey, you should probably get a cheap little $600 apartment. What $600 apartment do you know that's upscale and that doesn't have people that will steal things or break into your house or that doesn't have any drug deals going on or they will look at you? Like Literally, I'd walk outside sometimes living around Beach Terrace, walk outside and then look to my right 
just because I'm looking in that direction. And then there'll be somebody there and be like, oh, what the fuck you looking at? Yada, yada, yada. Do you think I want to live around that? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to. That's the hood. Oh, <laughs> uh, Justin, it you, you just bougie, dog. That's all yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah, you just bougie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, I just want to be in a place where, you know, cops are going to pull through there maybe. 20 minutes after I've been shot in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> want to be around that. I definitely, that's where I want to be. No. And uh, I was like, I have a daughter on the way. And it's like, I never want her to see any of that. And my uncle, his point was, oh, you know, somebody might break in or something like that. Just don't carry anything expensive in your house. If I have to go to that length. <laughs> right. Right. Why? Right. And that's just, a crazy it, mentality. Man, that's why is. you. You don't want to get a new car, dog. Like, yeah. they ain't going to fuck with it. He was just, and like, I understand what? he was just looking out for me because he was, like, trying to explain to me, hey, live lower so that you can build your, your money up and that you you can, you know, go for it. But uh, my uncle also has, like, six kids. So so <laughs> it's, so it's he probably needs to do that. I don't. Yeah. I have a girlfriend, probably soon to be my wife, <laughs> that – that uh, that'll work with me and right. that we'll 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 go and we'll grow together we'll help each other and we're willing to hustle together to make sure that our kid doesn't see some of the things that we saw when we were growing up right. and and so i guess that just comes off in a certain way in a certain mentality it's like i'm sorry i can't switch back to you know the days where almost every sentence i have to throw the word nigga out and, you know, I, I'm sorry, I can't go back to those days where I don't know verb, noun, agreement anymore. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't, I can't relate to, you know, any of the the gunshots that are still happening inside my neighborhood. Or, and it's gotten worse since this pandemic. But I can't relate to any of that. And uh, that, you, I, that comes off, I guess. And they're like, okay, you're not one of us then. But they're also at the same time saying, hey, you're my people. Why couldn't you help me out with this? Or you're you're my people. We're together on this particular thing. How come you're not for your people? Why did you get with a white girl? And it's like, I just don't understand it. I don't. Yeah, and it's, like it's, it seems like um, it seems like lobsters in a barrel. Whereas one barrel. lobster crabs in a barrel. Yeah. Um, so they start trying to pull each other down. It's so strange. Like you brought up an interesting point to where you started to uh, speak. You're saying that you're speaking correctly and you're getting shade because you're using the English language and the proper proper way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's such a such a unique and interesting thing that you would be upset with somebody about. And I do understand there's some beauty, uh, as you talked about the introduction, like I love accents and I love impressions because I think it it does create unique personalities. And I think it's one of the beautiful things about uh, America and, and the like. But speaking in such a way that you demonstrate that you have the intelligence to understand how the language should be structured doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you feel like you're not understanding where you came from, because I grow up, you know, we're, we live here in a rural southern state, and I don't speak like this. I could easily come on down in here into that, but that doesn't mean I'm bougie. You know, it's being theater people, 
you know, having taken a couple acting courses and things like that, we understand the importance of articulation and people being able to understand you and putting forth a clear message. And yeah. it's just so strange that people would think that that makes you better. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, but you bring up an interesting point. You said that you mentioned uh, you and Paige's new, uh, new little one. So I think that leads itself into another yeah. unique conversation. It's literally a whole new can of worms. Right. So <laughs> your your future wife is is a white girl. Um, so what unique <laughs> unique situation does that present for you and your family and your friends? The biggest problem we ran into, I think, I'd have to say, and I'm not. It's nothing that I'm trying to say that all white people will see you as, but. I remember the biggest conversation and it almost turned into an argument when I was trying to tell her, my girlfriend, hey, you know, she's not half black. She's black because the outside world is going to see her as black. And it, it, that brings me back to, again, why would anybody think that I feel better or that I think that I'm better in any way, shape or form when we are all looked at as the same? I am one bad clothing choice away <laughs> from being stopped and frisked in Chicago. <laughs> like, like, it's not. That's a it's, good point, man. <laughs> it, it's not. We're all in the same boat here, you know. And me speaking proper pronunciation, if it stops me from getting shot one day, I literally, I then I've done my job. And I remember telling my girlfriend, "Hey, I want our daughter to understand." that she also is black because i remember even my most educated brothers and sisters people that are have already kind of made it in their own perspective fields you know people that have money we sit down and talk because i remember there was this uh program that we had in my school called uh the brotherhood where if you're an african-american male you go there and it's a club just for you guys to talk about being in college, helping you graduate, being around people that are of higher status than you that are not your skin color. And remember, our, our director literally said, hey, you know, you guys do understand that the outside world, they only see you as a nigga. And I, I don't like that word, but it does bring a really good point because they still see you as you're lesser than your commodity you are not one of us and you will never be one of us and it's like there's a there's a ceiling there <laughs> that can't be seen that you're trying to break through that they don't want you to break through so we got to help each other break through it and i remember telling my girlfriend this for the first time she's the first time she's ever had to deal with it because she's like i said she's white there's a whole different culture there she doesn't have to deal with the ceiling that is there except for you know the ceiling that women have to deal with but as far as my race is concerned i'm pretty sure a cop is way less uh inclined to shoot her or check her for drugs immediately rather than than me you know they're not gonna stop and frisk her that's not gonna happen <laughs> they're, right. but they're gonna look at me and be like oh you know <clears throat> his pants is just a little saggy let me stop him <laughs> let me stop him <laughs> And, yeah. and I had to tell her that, hey, our daughter is going to be seen as that. Our daughter is just going to be seen as, as a nigga, as a hood rat. And until she is able to articulate that she is not that. So, and she was like, well, I don't want her to not 
trust anybody. And I was like, well, no, I don't want her to just grow up not trusting anybody either. But on the at the same on the same end, I want her to not trust anyone except for the people that she is thoroughly vetted. Because, like I said, she's going to have to articulate that, hey, this is who I am. My name is Ezra Teresa Baker. I am black, but I am proud and I'm educated. I'm not like everyone that you've seen in the news because they only show that in the news. They only show us in a bad light in the news or on Facebook. You'll see us fighting at Indies Chicken. And I'm just like, why? Like, and this is like during a whole pandemic and you see like a group of 20 men and women that are black and just jumping this one girl and there's a baby in our car and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. It's literally in our city on Facebook. And I'm like, I cannot, and I just can't believe it. Like, and I just see that, and I just think every single time, and I'm not the only one. There's other races, Hispanic, Caucasian, Asian, who all think this when they see somebody of their particular skin color or race acting a damn fool on oh. on, on social media. Oh, I get that God, same vibe oh. every time the tornado. <laughs> Every time the tornado hits, they cut to some trailer with some <laughs> white lady with three teeth. Yeah. I, was, I was in there and lost my whole dime collection. Exactly. You collect dimes? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, uh, it's like, like and, you, and you just go, oh, why did it have to be one of us? And then it just puts us further away from from understanding each other yeah yeah just understanding and, each other in progression because we want my daughter to not have to pick a side she's half white she's half black but i don't ever want someone to look at her and then call her white like they've done me just because she speaks a certain way and i don't yeah, that, want her to have to choose a side because there is no sides we are all a part of the human race but that's been beaten to death we know this right. but there's still prejudice all the time and, and it's the, not it's not seen oh and the news story that you talked about can certainly demonstrate why you know individuals in the african-american community can feel disenfranchised because i can tell you i have several friends in louisville uh sorry i said that like i don't belong here louisville yeah, yeah. mouthful of marbles <laughs> how dare me um but certain people in the city that went to fuck the corona parties and mm. things of that nature and they were right. white predominantly white groups of people. And did you see that news story? No. No. I think Andy Andy (laughs) brought it up briefly in his thing, but it wasn't on WLKY, WDRB, and WAVE. Uh, So they do choose to do certain things to make certain groups of people look bad. And it just so happens to be it's usually the black groups of people. But it's it's interesting, again, to have people – portrayed in a certain light when again you bring up the point that we're all in this together and there's dumb people from all walks of life so we shouldn't be you know portraying one as different than the other exactly something that you continue to circle back to is the fact that you're educated what sort of problems has that created for you and your family specifically or friends oh no just what i brought up like i'd run into somebody from the old neighborhood or from just a particular neighborhood that is like that, and they'll automatically put me in one category. No, you're white. <laughs> Why am I white all of a sudden? <laughs> like, you don't know how many times I've talked to a black person, and they have called me white. And it is, and it is, and it's like to just, 
and they don't understand that that's offensive. Like, like it's 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 not offensive in the way that okay, white people are all that bad. It's offensive as in you are literally denying my entire heritage. You are literally saying that I didn't go through the same thing as you, even though when I was fourteen, even. I went to a barber shop, and this uh, this cop walks in there. He's a white guy, of course. Walks in there in the barber shop, points the gun at me, and says, "Hey, are you Derek something something?" I'm like, "No, I'm not. My name's Justin." Have my hands up. Then he points. Then the other guy, he who's next to me, who is Derek so and so. You know, he sees this white cop pointing a gun at this. <laughs> fucking 14 year old boy and says no i i'm Derek." yada 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 then he points the gun at him and then the guy says oh right you know uh, hands up you know i'm gonna get on the ground yada 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 and then he gets arrested tell me why Derek so-and-so is like 45 years old <laughs> this guy looks like he is in his late 40s how do you mix that up and it's, it's like you're, there had to have been a picture or something because you knew where to go. You right. knew what location to show up to, and you knew his name. So there had to have been a picture of the guy like somewhere. You don't just get a fingerprint, do you? I was like, I don't, I don't really know many cops, but I haven't asked. But I'm pretty sure they all get a picture of the person that they need to arrest and point a gun at if they get a location. Or even a description. What did the description say? The the uh, perp is between four foot and seven foot tall. He yeah. may be between ages thirteen and seventy two. Yeah, like, exactly. what the fuck are they yeah, doing? Yeah, what like, is the what is the spectrum here? And then <laughs> and the guy looks nothing alike. And I'm just like, so they so then his age wasn't described. I mean, it had to have been like it yeah. had to have been like hell. He's you know his late thirties, maybe late forties, you know something. Not this fourteen year old baby face with no goddamn facial hair, <laughs> wearing glasses. Guy wasn't even wearing glasses like me. <laughs> and then you're pointing a gun at me too. And it's like my mom was sitting there like looking at me like Justin, let's let's go, let's go because she saw him, the cop walking in from the front door. But then by the time we got in there, he got in there, he points a gun right at me. So then it's like, well, I can't go anywhere, mom. <laughs> I might get shot in front of you right now. <laughs> like, and then uh, my mom was so pissed at me later. Like she she drilled me about, hey, you have to you have to come on when I say come here. You have to you have to. No, it's not how it works when somebody has a gun in your face and you're 14. It's, yeah. I mean, I wasn't completely terrified of dying, but I was not <laughs> terrified of dying because I didn't know why I was dying or why there was a gun in my face. Sir. But I've had guns in my face before, so it didn't feel foreign, you know, and it's just. Uh, it's, and how sad is that? Extremely. And yeah, uh, that's tragic, man. <laughs> I know it. And then, and, then, uh, and then, you know, education has kind of brought me to where I can just articulate that I'm not the same. But then me articulating that I'm not the same as every other hood rat is also a double-edged sword because then the people who are from those particular neighborhoods who I know are not hood rats, but they are from those particular areas – and it's not by choice. They'll look at me as I'm just white. And it's like, I don't know where to go with that. I, my whole heritage is black. I, 
I am black. Yeah. But my education also says that I am black. <laughs> like it doesn't. It's not. There's not. It's not saying. It's not having a specific race put on it only because everybody can get that same amount of education, it, if as long as you work towards it, and or somebody gives you a helping hand. Honestly, because sometimes they can't work towards it because their their situation is so far down that that is all they know. That is all they see. I only saw drug deals growing up, but my parents pushed me to see other things. Yeah. So I was lucky. You know, it's it's the same way with them. And if their parents, I'd hate to think and thought that they see drug deals coming up and then their parents would also be the drug dealer. <laughs> like, I can't, I wouldn't be able to even explain to how those people are doing. I wouldn't even be able to relate to how they'd be able to come up. I can't say that, oh, yeah, they had the same uh, upbringing as me or they had the same opportunity as me. But the only thing I can't say is people who were in the same boat as me and their parents, you know, helped them get out of there or their parents were pushing them, hey, get your get good grades so you can get out of here. Make this happen. Get a job. We're all helping each other something like that i can relate to so then when other people who are were living that same life as me grew up with me and then they hear the way i talk and then they say that i'm white it doesn't compute or i'm saying i'm not one of them and it doesn't compute to the same school you know it's i I just don't understand how the connection can't be made for them to understand that knowledge is power and that you are literally empowering yourself in such a way uh, that you can improve your situation. And, and I do understand, uh, you know, I, I teach in a high school and I, I work at a school that's 66% students of color. Um, so I see so many of these, these individuals who are merely, they are 100% a product of their environment. Uh, I had a young lady last year. <clears throat> that we did not connect. We did not click. Uh, she came in every day. I thought this kid hated me. Uh, just the way that she talked to me and the way that she dealt with me. Um, I was like, well, maybe she, there's something bad that happened with another white dude in her life. And she's making that connection to me. And that's okay. It, it's it's going to happen. But she's got to go. I was like, she's a disruption to my class. Whether there's some underlying issue, it doesn't really change the expectations. So we sat down with the counselor. The counselor posed uh, the question to me, is there something that we can do? Can we sit down and talk about this? And I said, absolutely. I don't want to kick this student out every day. So we sat down with this student who I thought hated me, judging by her behavior with me. We sat down and she's like, I I like you. And I I stared at her. The counselor stared at her and we're just like, what? She's like, yeah, man, I think you're nice. I I like your class. And once she left, the counselor, uh, who's also... Uh, an African-American female, she said to me, the only thing she sees in a demonstration of love is exactly how she's acting to you every day in her classroom, in your classroom. That's what she thinks love and respect looks like. So that's why she treats you the way she does. We just saw it. She just told you that she likes you. She thinks your class is fun, but you see it as disrespectful because it looks differently where you came from. Mm. And I had never thought about it that way. It really, it really blew my mind. It really, 
I was just like, wow, I had never thought about that. Because in my household, I, I said, yes, dad. Yes, mom. And they told me to do things. And I would never think to be like, yeah, fuck you. You know, especially to an authority figure, you know, and yeah, I don't really fucking feel like doing that, you know, to someone, to a, to a teacher, you know, and this was just the norm for her. This was how they talked to evidently everybody. And it didn't make it better necessarily, but it did help me understand because I did not understand. Um, but I don't understand how parents and, and people in those situations don't realize that how you talk to other people and those first impressions that you make, how they are everything in the per- people's perception of you. Mm. So it's that, if you, oh yeah, and then there's you, there's certain parents that do teach you that. Like my mom and dad, that was they drilled that into me. So when I'd come out of a class, I mean, because I remember I was. I was a slacker <laughs> in my in my in my high school years, and uh, I remember that I was a slacker. However, every parent teacher conference, the teachers would be like, "Oh, but he's the most respectable kid I have in my class." It's always yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Oh, I'm gonna do this. Oh, I'll do that. He just won't do my homework. <laughs> and that was literally, and that was literally that every parent teacher conference there was never disrespect and there was never uh oh he does not talk to me or oh, he do he tries to fight with me or he tries to do this you know because you know my parents would drill into me and this is it's sad that they'd have to do this but they would say my my dad specifically would be like hey this is the white man's world you're just living in it and he drill that into me my mom would do it in a different way like she'd say the same thing but it, her way of doing it would be like, hey, there's hidden racism, though. Like, they see you as one thing, but they will talk to you with a smile on their face. And then later on, when you are being pushed out or you're being uh, fired or something like that, then it'll come out. Oh, no, he was unruly. Oh, he was doing this. And, and maybe none of that was happening. But they found a way to get to you because of their racism and because of how they see things and because of they see you as just one thing and they go and they just make things happen behind the scenes it's not always going to be in front of your face the racism is never going to is not always not going to say never but it's not always going to be right in front of your face i've had racism explicitly (laughs) thrown at my face and i'm sitting there looking at it you know, with certain situations that I've seen, and then there's, you know, underlying racism that, you know, you can't do anything but think, oh, this must be racism because I fit all of these criteria. I do this, I do that. I follow the particular mold that they set forth. However, I'm not one of them. So I'm not going to go any further than where I'm at. Or they'll make little jokes. And then I know that they're not jokes in their head because I know that they probably said it before. And it just, I'm like, uh, (laughs) but I have to put a smile on because as soon as I say what's on my mind or I throw out a slur or something, it's, it's done. (laughs) Like all credibility is lost. (laughs) Now I'm just a hood rat. And it's like, I can't, uh, it's it's like I can't win, you know, unless I'm playing a particular game 
that I don't uh, that I don't even know the rules to. <laughs> you know. And, yeah. Uh, like I, remember I, I will. Okay. Uh, I, I was gonna say is it one of the things is like they've changed the perceptions. So you talk about playing the game, and that's that's interesting. And you talk about the hidden racism, and what's interesting is like the very perceptions that it seems and feels as though the media creates, wherein uh, individuals in the African African American community only think they have certain options to get themselves out uh, of those hood situations or poverty ridden areas. Um, and you know, you're like, you can be more than an athlete. You can be more than a rapper. Uh, you can be more. Every one of my students thinks they're going to be the next, um, influencer. They're like, I'm going to be Instagram famous. I'm going to be a YouTube star. And I'm like, you can do other stuff. Like you could be a local business owner. You can be a lawyer, a doctor. You can be a professor. You can be so many different things. And I teach humanities, and I try and demonstrate as many possibilities for them outside of those normal notions. Mm. Because I don't feel like they're getting those those possibilities as much as they should. You know, So I'll be like, here is someone who's an abstract artist who just sold one of his pieces for $100,000, and he just so happens to be a black guy. Yeah. You know, it's like the hustle can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. You know, you're not stuck into this niche thing that they say that you should do. You know, it's, it's, I think that's important. You know, maybe you could, you could go be a Shakespearean actor, you know, and I'm probably preaching to the choir, you know, you're like coming up outside of those normal boxes. And I think that that's great. And that's why I wanted to talk to you uh, specifically, specifically because I know that you're so outside of that mindset. And I think that's great. Um, I think um, we should leave it on, who are some of the people that you have utilized um, to push you? Who are some people that are inspirations to you that have kept you uh, in such a driven state of mind? The people who are honestly the closest to me. I uh, I thought it would be celebrities, but they I can't. I can say a few celebrities who I look up to, but as far as as uh, hey, I look up to them. And they have really driven me to be a better person or better me or just go outside of my box. I can say is a lot of people and classmates and friends and mentors who are also the same skin color as me or from the brotherhood. I know that uh, one of them, I mean, I'll say their names here. <laughs> hey, go ahead. Hopefully uh, Deshaun Flowers, one of them who was uh, the president of my uh, of my brotherhood. Uh, and he was a chef, you know, still cooking up great shit. But his, uh, his, uh, his big thing is that he always gets people active and into things, and he always tries to remember everybody's name. So he'll come to you, and he'll be like, hey, how you doing? I'm Flowers. You know, loving life as always. And that is his, <laughs> that is his, uh, that's his character, and that's his... His, uh, his catchphrase, he says, love and life is always, always, always says this <laughs> so much that you just you'll be able to copy him <laughs> verbatim as if he is a celebrity. Uh, Leo Braddock, who is uh, who also was a chef, he was a wine and he's a uh, he's a big wine guy. And uh, he is big into small businesses and he owns uh 
a few nonprofits right now, Children Shouldn't Hunger and uh, a couple of other nonprofits that he he gets involved with. And he is big on getting me to get involved with things, with anything like he's like, hey, get your face out there. And he, he checks on me in a lot of the ways that you do except he checks on me a lot more <laughs> like only because he like he'll like every other week or every month he'll be like hey what have you done as far as film is concerned lately <laughs> like what have you done i know that you want to be a director how what have you done here what have, what have you done today what have you done this whole time that you've been in quarantine and then i it almost feels disappointing a lot of the times when i tell him like something like oh I, I didn't do anything because of this and that, and it'll feel like an excuse. And then I almost feel like a parent. <laughs> I had to tell my dad that I have bad grades, <laughs> and it feels right. it feels and it feels ooh, it feels just like that, and it just makes me feel more motivated to as soon as circumstances allow me to move and make things happen, hit the ground running, and that well, let that's, me. Yeah. On that point, it's uh, this brings me back to something that I encountered because I had that same feeling. Because at one point, you know, I was going to move down to Florida uh, and go to, to full sale and you know pursue being a director and things of that nature. And uh, I had met George A. Romero, um, the director of all the Night of the Living Dead, Land of the Dead, all those. And uh, I had said to him, I was like, you know, I I really respect you. You're someone I look up to. Uh, I, I think it's great what you've done. You've created a whole genre. I mean, the zombie genre is pretty much on his back. And uh, I was like, one day I'll have a camera uh, and get in, you know, the money that I need to get out there and start doing the things that I want to do. And he said, do you have a pencil? Do you have paper? Mm-hmm. He said, then what is stopping you? Exactly. So um, find a way. Uh, you know, I've read some of the scripts that you sent me. Just find a way to keep creating. Uh, I'm with I'm with your buddy. You should be doing something. Um, I got inspired during this quarantine to go ahead and get this podcast off the ground that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Some of my friends are probably like, it's about fucking time. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> I emailed them like seven months ago and, and it's finally going. Um, so yeah, utilize that as an inspiration. I didn't mean to cut you off uh, on your, your list oh, there. Yeah. No, you're fine. And uh, the last person is uh, is uh, Kashida McQuellen, and it's that's a name that's hard to pronounce and spell if you don't get it if you can't get it right. First that's time phenomenal. Runs off the tongue yeah. like delectable cuisine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's a he's a career advisor at Ivy Tech, and uh, his big thing was pushing me into these opportunities professionally as well and then i remember bringing to him hey i don't really think i should do that specifically because i'm trying to become a director so i really shouldn't be trying to apply for any jobs on radio or something like that and i remember his response to me was why not it's something that does fall under the media category and if you run into somebody that also (laughs) is trying to pursue directing and they're a big sound guy because you are trying to go work for a radio station, then why wouldn't that help you in any way, shape, or form? That would only boost what you were able to do. That would only give you a certain skill set that you didn't have at first. 
So he really pushed me into being able to take other avenues to where I'm trying to get to because I remember telling him I can't be broke right now. And he was like, okay, well, then why don't you get a job that can help you with this? And you don't even need to be full time and you can be part time with that and then full time with the other job and then put your all into whatever you're trying to do on the weekends. And he his time management. He's a career advisor. So that's his whole thing is helping you get money, helping you get a job that allows you to get money and uh, and then helping you find a particular avenue that is best suited to whatever you're trying to do. And that's him. So he was definitely a huge inspiration to me and helps me keep going too. And he'll give me a call once every four months too. And it'll be only because, you know, particular life circumstances, which I need to catch up with all three of these guys, <laughs> but their particular life circumstances will push him in a different direction or a certain direction. And uh, he'll be busy, but then he'll always give me that. You just had a baby girl, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, I just had a baby boy, or this just happened. Uh, what are you doing now? Da, 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 da. How are you pushing yourself forward? Yada, yada. And I don't go to, I haven't gone to that school in like two years, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 he's not my career advisor anymore. And uh, he's that's not beautiful, in, though. And I'm not in the brotherhood anymore because it was only at that particular school. I don't know if there's one at UofL. Yeah. And so he's still helping me, like, he's still pushing me forward. And that's, and, you know, to see that is probably the most inspirational thing ever because then it's like, I don't want to let these guys down. <laughs> They're not big and famous, but they are busy and they are taking time out of their day to someone who's not even a family member and who hasn't really talked to them day to day, or is not a big, who hasn't done anything for them really to mold and just be like, Hey, you're, you're one of us. Why, what are you doing right now? <laughs> Why are you chilling? You, you're young, you know, make things happen. And that, that pushes me that probably more than anything. And then to get like this, see things like you right now doing your podcast. I've been talking about getting in the film and then doing a podcast for the longest. And then I still have not done it. And then looking at you, boom, here you are doing it. So, <laughs> and then to get a call from you and then you're like, Hey, what have you done? <laughs> so hearing that, that's probably the biggest, those are probably the biggest uh, things that kind of help me feel like I need to push myself a lot harder than what I've done. And it doesn't matter what age I am when I do it, as long as I am doing it and I'm working towards it, I will get there someday. So that was that was a beautiful response, man. That was great. Um, I think I think that's exactly what I'm looking for, man. Is like that we're all in this together and take the inspirations from wherever you can. Um, yeah, that's great. And I think it's those people are, are the people that we need. Uh, being in education, I get to see those types of people all the time. Uh, educators go so far beyond not to you know kind of preach to the choir from people that know me, but uh, we go so far beyond just x's and o's on a board of things that the kids need to know uh it's about those relationships and keeping those relationships and and really trying to push people um i think that's a, a beautiful way to end this man i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day i know with a a new little one uh they those that free time is precious to you no, um, it's fine. she sleeps that's <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> Or she'll be on the podcast here, too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if she wasn't asleep, you'd see her in my lap right now. <laughs> she's, she's, she's always up under me. So, I, well, anytime. 
It's been fantastic catching up with you, man, and I can't wait well. to put this down. Uh, and hopefully, this you know is puts forth some inspiration to somebody else that needs to hear this at their time in their life. And uh, it's been a great talk, man. And uh, we'll catch up and stay in touch. Oh yeah, thank you for having me. All right, buddy. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Justin. As a teacher, I find it's important we empower our students, which leads me to a beautiful quote from Frederick Douglass to close out this episode. It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men.